Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Courtney. I'm one of the pastors here. I had a name tag off. I left my name in the bathroom earlier. It was on the floor earlier. So if you don't know me, just say, what's your name again? And I'll tell, or I might make up a name. It's so good to be gathered together. And if you've been with us over the last many months, you know we are following Jesus through the book of John. Today we're going to look at John 18, but just a little tiny slice of the passage. There's not time to address it all. I want to encourage you, though, if you haven't read the whole chapter, read it this week and see what God might have for you in it. Let me set the scene for you. John doesn't tell us that Jesus is on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, but we know from the other gospel writers that when the passage says the garden, that's the garden of which he's speaking. Jesus is bound and brought before Annas, and eventually Jesus is brought before Pilate. Look at the verses here with me, John 18, beginning at verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Do you notice? Jesus does not defend himself. He simply speaks the truth. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. Jesus fulfills his calling in testifying to the truth. We're called to do the same. Jesus is pointing to himself here as the truth, as God's son. He is pointing to God. We can follow Jesus' model. Here he is bound. Can you imagine those circumstances? What about our circumstances? What about when times are hard or threaten, things threaten all around you? Can you and I do what Jesus did? Can we point to Jesus and point to God and know that God so loved the world, including you, including me? Do we, friends, find our home and our hope in Jesus Christ? That's the question for us this morning. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you sent your son so we didn't have to try and imagine what you were like. Instead, you're disciples and we experience what you are like. I pray this morning that we would learn together about your kingdom. We would learn together what it means to reflect your love and live under your good reign. God, thank you for your chesed, for your faithfulness, for your attachment to us as your children. I pray that Today, we would leave this place changed because we've gathered around your word. So use it as only you can do. I entrust myself and my friends to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the powerful, loving, ever-present Holy Spirit. And God's children said, amen. Today, I hope that you will know while you're here and when you leave that hope has a home. Hope, the hope of Jesus Christ of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit has a home and lives in you. And I don't know about y'all, but I, I had sort of a wild week. I mean, there's been a lot of wild and interesting things going on in our news cycle and in the lives of some of my friends. Hard news this week for people. Cancer diagnoses, 
children straying and not doing well. Lots of hard things are going on. The question is, am I, are you losing sleep in the chaos, in the wild times? Or are we dependent on the presence of God? You know, there are thousands of sermons that have been launched by this phrase, fear not, right? Well, why? Because it's the gospel truth. Fear isn't ever actually the response of us as Christians, not our true response. We believe as Jesus believed when he pointed to his kingdom that God will have the last word, that the kingdom of God will rule and reign and we can participate in that. Fear is not our friends. God is our friend. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran pastor who was an anti-Nazi dissident, um, wrote some many, many beautiful things. He was a Lutheran, also a Lutheran pastor, and he said this when he talked about fear. See if it makes sense hundreds of years later. Fear takes away a person's humanity. This is not what the Creator had in mind when we were made. The Bible, faith, the church, all of these, he said, are one great battle cry against fear in the lives of human beings. You're right, he didn't live hundreds of years ago, but more than a decade. But what he was saying in that moment in history is true today. When we live in fear, we don't live in love. When we live in fear and we end up with a cancel culture, does that make sense to anybody? We don't treat each other as the precious, beautiful people we are made in God's image. Is fear creeping in and taking away your humanity and the way you see others around you? Jesus makes it clear today in our text. His hope is in the kingdom of God, not the kingdoms of this world, not the rulers of this world. So our first instruction today is to live in the reality of God's kingdom. Jesus is before Pilate. He's been unjustly accused, but he talks about his kingdom. He's not just referring to a spiritual realm, my friends. He's talking about our day-to-day -day lives. You and I, we're the walking, talking, breathing kingdom of God wherever we go. One scholar painted the scene this way of who, the crowd that's there. They've come with lanterns. They're looking for Jesus to be hiding in the dark, but he's not. He's standing in the light. And if you go back and read the rest of the passage, you'll see that Jesus says, look, I spoke clearly and plainly to you. I was in the synagogues. I'm not hiding out. Hmm. Are we hiding out? But here's the scene. There are Herodians, zealots, Pharisees, Essenes. There's as one pastor writes, there's some heavy-duty religious power on the scene here. Here's how he describes them. The Herodians, this is the, this is the prayer breakfast crew. They want to infuse the halls of power with godly people because then maybe the politics will change from their view. Now, the zealots on the scene, they believe the only way to fix things is just to get rid of Rome altogether. Then there's the Pharisees. This is the family values party. Do right, live right, God will love you, God will bless you. And then the Essenes, these are the people who withdraw and just go, wait, no, the world's too bad, can't deal with it, I'm going to go hide out. So all of these religious leaders are here on this scene, and Jesus doesn't defend himself. His kingdom is not of this world. 
What Jesus has done up to this point in his life is angered every single one of those leadership groups. He's made them all angry. Well, what's the difference between them and their right living or their hiding out and the way Jesus lives? Well, Jesus lives in intimacy with God. Jesus doesn't know about God. Jesus knows God personally. These religious leaders are saying, if you do the right things, if you live the right way, or if you hide and flee, that's knowing God. That's not intimacy. Jesus says this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Move away from any other kingdom that's of this world. Move in to mine. Paul says it this way in Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship as followers of Jesus Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we are citizens of heaven because we follow Jesus Christ, not citizens of this world. So this morning, I ask you, to whom is your primary allegiance? Where's home for you? In whom or in what are you placing your hope? Well, Jesus was a Jew, right? And Jesus was a rabbi. So rabbis were esteemed teachers in this moment in history. And that's their primary task, is to teach. Oral tradition of early rabbis goes something like this about the importance of a rabbi in your life. Suppose your rabbi and your father are both held captive. What do you do? You ransom your rabbi first. That's a big statement. The disciples look to Jesus like this and they say, Rabbi, Rabboni, my teacher, the one to whom I am loyal first, the one to whom I'm attached first. It's more than a uh, teacher-student relationship. It's more like being part of Jesus' family. So we're called to live in reality with this rabbi, with this teacher, to live in the reality of the kingdom. We're also called to live attached to the king. So my question is, to what have you attached yourself? Here's what John said. To all who received him, who received Jesus, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We get to be God's child. We all had parents, which means we all had dysfunctional families, right? They're wonderful, loving people and flawed. I know, because I'm a parent. Dysfunction junction. And I want my daughter's view of God and God's love for them to be way better than the job I've done loving them. Now, we're attached in healthy ways, but their primary attachment and view of perfect love is from God. And perfect love, as we know, casts out all fear. We've been talking and we'll talk more in our Lenten series about being attached to the vine. And being attached is not the same as being beside or being close to. This is St. Clair of Assisi. She was the first female to follow St. Francis. And she said this about attachment. I just think this is stunning. We didn't, she didn't know about attachment theory. She died in 1253, but really listen to this. She said, we become what we love And who we love shapes what we become. I will, she said, I will remain attached to the God I love. 
The God I love shapes who I become, friends. Wow, that's good news. Where's your primary attachment? The kingdom of God is within you. To what are you attached? Do you know people who are clearly attached to God, devoted to God? I bet you do. You know what? I know you do because you all know Jeff Mazzarello. And Jeff, like the rest of us, had human parents. So what did we do? What did he done with those wounds from his life, the good and the hard that come from being part of a family? Jeff has learned to be attached primarily to Jesus Christ. And Jeff's attachment to God blesses all of us. You know why? Because it shapes who he is all day, every day. Even on a hard day, Jeff leans into Jesus. So when you're around Jeff, it's a little like being around love, isn't it? It's what I've experienced working with him. How about you? How about me? When people bump into us, they're really bumping into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And we might be the only representation of Jesus they meet. Are we soft-edged? Are we loving? If the person, the one to whom I attached, determines who I am, and the one to whom I'm attached is love, may I be more loving. You know, we've talked before about the word chesed, and it can easily be translated faithfulness or loving kindness, but it also can be translated attached love. God's loving attachment to you and to me makes all the difference in how we live our life day in and day out. Finally, this. Like Jesus, we are called to live in God's good reign. That means, and pun intended, when it rains, I hide under God's good reign. When there are storms, I go to the one who reigns, the one who created the wind and the seas. Jesus said, I came into this world to testify to the truth, and the truth is that my kingdom is not anything like your earthly kingdoms. My kingdom is full of peace and loving kindness and goodness. In my kingdom, on that final day, there's no more pain, there's no more sorrow. And Jesus said, you can live in that now because I leave the Holy Spirit with you. Day in, day out, that is the truth. You and I, we have the King of Kings living in us. This scene where Jesus is before Pilate, I can only imagine it was traumatic for him. And yet he responds out of love. There's a new area of theology, relatively new, called, new that's called neurotheology, just like you're thinking brain. Where's the intersection of our brain, the way we think, the way we live, and our faith? And a specialist in that area said this, He describes trauma this way as unbearable emotional suffering. From studying people of faith, we know that this suffering can be made bearable in the midst of a safe relational home, a safe attached relationship to God. In fact, this scientist says, we are hardwired to seek those relationships with one another and with God. Isn't that true? I seek relationships that are safe, that are loving, that remind me that God rules and God reigns. 
God's hesed. God's attached to you. Are you and I living as though God reigns, as though that attachment will never end? As we come to the table today, we remember that Jesus said, come, come if you're weary, come if you're thirsty, come if you're hungry. And, um, you know, a lot of us have families that live far away from us here. And so we have what we call chosen family. As it turns out, family is not so much defined by blood as it is by decision. In Jesus Christ, we have both. We have Jesus' blood shed for us. And we get to decide to remain attached to the one who is attached to us. So I want you to think as we come to the table this morning, am I responding as though the kingdom of heaven is a reality? Am I responding to the one who is attached to me? And am I responding as though God reigns? The psalmist says this in Psalm 91. Because you love me, says the Lord, I will rescue you. I will protect you. For you acknowledge my name. You will call on me and I will answer you. I will be with you when you are in trouble and when life is sweet. Would you join me in prayer? God, we do call on your name and we come before you to the table this morning. We come with a yes. Yes, we agree with you and your truth. We agree that your kingdom has come. We agree that we long for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to live as those who experience the reality of your kingdom, who live attached to you, and who live under your reign of goodness, grace, mercy, and love, which is new every morning. So may we come with a yes. May we come to this table as family, God, invited. We love you, and we thank you in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus did something unusual after the meal. He took the bread and he blessed it. He gave thanks. And he looked at his friends. He said, you're welcome here at this table. And this is my body. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he said, as he took the cup, he did the same thing. He gave thanks first. He said to his friends, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out in my blood shed for you. Drink it. Eat it. He said, do these things in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul says, every single time we do this, we proclaim God's goodness. We proclaim that God is the Lord until he comes again. So friends, take communion when you're ready. Let's worship our God together as one family. Oh, amen and amen to that. Go ahead and grab a seat. I love that. It is finished. The work of God has been done and now we have unlimited access to him. And now we get to be invited to be kingdom people, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor 
as ourself. I love that quote from St. Clair of Assisi, right? We become what we love. We see that in all the good and bad ways. But as Christians, we long to be people who love God. Like St. Clair of Assisi, I will remain attached to the God I love. And throughout this Lent experience, we've been trying to make that statement a reality. We focused our time on John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. And that is what we long to be. We long to be people who bear much fruit. But it doesn't just happen. It's a process. It's a, it's a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly process to bear good fruit. We've walked this process so far, the precious seed, the good soil, the deep roots, the vine and the branches, the careful pruning, and now the abundant fruit. Well, before we can get to the abundant fruit, which we'll talk about next week, we are going to look at careful pruning. Careful pruning is a hard thing because pruning is taking things that are life. It's beautiful, but you're cutting those things away so that there's plenty of time and plenty of energy for the vine to produce good fruit. This last weekend, Katie and I went to Sonoma and I love going to wine country for, I mean, A, it's super beautiful. B, it's great wine. The combination of both things is a great time to go with your wife. You know, it was perfect on every level. But if you drive out to Sonoma, you drive to Healdsburg, you drive to Napa, you can see these well-trained vines everywhere. And they have been trained by the vine dresser and they're maximized so they will produce good, good fruit. Well, just now, right now, there's little buds of life happening on all of those brown vines. And you can see these, this life coming. And, uh, and I'm like, this is great. The grapes are coming. Well, Wim Van Dam, our leadership team chair, he actually has a little vineyard in his backyard. And when we meet to talk about some of the governance stuff of the church, we start our time, we go down and take a look at his vineyard. And I actually got to go and do some careful pruning. I don't know the first thing about pruning, but Wim does. And he looks at this vine that wants to produce good fruit but if you just let the vines go crazy, there's not enough energy for the, for the vine to get to the fruit. And so you look, and right above every little branch, there's these little buds that are coming. This new life is happening. And he says, after two buds, you clip right above there, because that's just the amount of right energy that the vine needs. Those two buds, well, in the Christian sense, those are the two buds. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And we're invited today to do some careful pruning. And this is a delicate thing. This isn't the same as confession. Careful pruning is all the good things. These are things that we have filled our life with that take up all sorts of time and energy. But all those good things also still can crowd away the energy and effort that the Holy Spirit longs to do in us and through us. So careful pruning is a partnership with the Holy Spirit to say, have your way with us. I love this passage in John 15, verse 2. It says, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll bear even more fruitful. And if you're a Christian, you're connected to the vine, you are going to bear fruit, but it says that he carefully prunes so that will bear even more fruit. And that's what we want to do. We want to partner with the Holy Spirit. So in front of you is a sheet of paper like this. Normally have some really talented graphic designers who make these things beautiful. This is my clip art version. If you are on the part of the online community, why don't you grab a half sheet of paper and a pen? And what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next few moments just in some quiet reflection. Because the way this works is a partnership with the Holy Spirit. This isn't me telling you what to do. This isn't your neighbor or your spouse elbowing you telling you what to do. This is the Holy Spirit saying, hey, here's some things that have been good and served a purpose, but may be time to cut away so there's time and energy for the Holy Spirit to have his way in us. And so I'm just going to give us a couple of little prompts along the way. And this is going to be our prayer that Lord reveal the ways that this branch is limiting the good fruit that God has for us. 
So the first area I'd love for us to think about is this idea of lack of trust. And it's weird how it works itself out. And so the way that I thought about this is I, I realized the amount of time and energy I spend worrying and running after things I can't control. I'm in my late 40s now, and all of a sudden I'm worried about the stock market and my 401k, and it's doing weird stuff, and can I retire? And I can't control any of that, but it's capturing my mind. My son's about to go to college, and I'm spending so much time worrying about what he's going to do. But not the reality is, is I want to trust the Lord, right? So all the energy and time that I'm worrying is limiting time and energy that I'm making space for God to have his way with me. So why don't you just think for a few moments ways that you might be lacking in trust so that taking away energy from the Lord. So this be our prayer. Lord, reveal the way my lack of trust is limiting the good fruit. take a look at another group of branches. I call these distractions. What's interesting, two years ago, the beginning of COVID, I would say busyness was the number one thing that was keeping me away. But now I've filled up all my busyness with distractions. When I was reflecting on this this week, I thought of my phone, how often it's in my hand. Gosh, you look at a little screen time app, it's a little embarrassing. Think how much time and energy I would have in my life to love God and to serve Him if I could just simply put my phone away. But as you listen to the Holy Spirit, ask, may this be your prayer. Lord, reveal the distractions that are in the way and limiting the good fruit. Lord, reveal the distractions that are limiting the good fruit. next group of branches are branches that I do not want to partner with the Holy Spirit on. These are hobbies. These are things that I actually chose to invest my time in because they bring me life. But sometimes those hobbies can actually take on a life of their own. And when I was thinking about this, I have certain fitness goals. I'm trying to learn how to play golf. You can believe that. I love reading and learning, but even reading and learning can end up taking up 
time and energy away and cause myself to hide, actually, from what God may have for me. Those are me and my reflections, but as you make some space for the Holy Spirit, may this be our prayer. Lord, reveal the ways that my hobbies may be limiting the good fruit. Let's take a minute and reflect on that. This last category, I just put it as kind of a catch-all. It's these wild branches. When I was at Wim's Vineyard, there's vi- there vines that needed to be pruned that were part of his plan, part of the vineyard that's going to produce fruit. But then there's these also these shoots that were coming straight out of the stock that obviously were not going to do anything. They were not going to grow fruit. They weren't even part of the plan, but they were going to still take time and energy away from the, the job of the vine, which is to grow fruit. And so I just want to make some space for the Holy Spirit, whatever sort of wild branch, however you interpret that, whatever the Holy Spirit's like, don't forget about this. You thought you got away with it because Ben didn't pick the category for you. That's what a wild branch is. So let's just spend a moment reflecting on that. Lord, reveal the wild branches in my life that may be limiting the good fruit. We become what we love. And if we're going to be people who are going to mirror the love of Christ, then we need to be people who love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and people who activate that love into service for his kingdom. But it takes time and energy. And we're Marin people. We, have, we don't have enough time and energy. We're, we're so important and so popular and have so many things in our life. And the gentle invitation of the Holy Spirit is to maybe with all those good things that are happening, all the things that God is revealing in you, maybe some of those things are not bearing the fruit that God longs for you to bear. And would you be willing to be open to the Holy Spirit to have him prune away the good things, the great things in your life, but the things that may not contribute to bearing fruit, to being the kingdom people that he longs for us to be. I wrote this little statement that's been my prayer for myself and for my family and for you. It says this, we want enough space and energy in our lives so that the two buds will grow into bountiful fruit. The first bud is that we would have space to love God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. And the second bud is that we would activate that love toward others in a meaningful and spirit-led way. 
So on our way to bear good fruit, may we participate with the Holy Spirit for some careful pruning. Let me pray for us and then we'll continue to worship. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, what a gift it is to come and to gather with friends, to be encouraged by the ministry of music, worship, to come to your word, to be nourished by the table. All ways that Christians for thousands of years have attached to you. And so we intentionally attach ourselves to you. We love you, Lord, and we long for our lives to reflect you. Be gentle and kind as you prune away the good things, the things that bring life but may not bring fruit. We ask that with a gentle hand, you'd have your way with us so that our entire lives would bring you honor and bring you glory. And all of God's kids said, amen and amen. Let's stand as we continue to worship.